If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. British summertime is finally here and we want you to make the most of it by getting to know more of the history you love with a subscription to BBC History magazine. Subscribe this summer and get six issues for just £24.99, saving 30% on the shop price. Plus, when you sign up, you will also receive a book of your choice from Russia, Revolution and Civil War, 1917-1921 by Anthony Beaver, In Search of the Dark Ages by Michael Wood, signed edition, or In Search of Mary Seacole, The Making of a Cultural Icon by Helen Rappaport, signed edition. To take advantage of this offer and for more information, visit www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash summer reads 2022. Offer ends on the 5th of August 2022. Offer only available to UK residents. Please visit website for terms and conditions. And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. 2022 is the History Extra podcast's 15th birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. In today's episode, Professor Joyce Tildesley nominates the ancient Egyptian queen, T. I spoke to Joyce to find out more about this overlooked queen consort and queen mother, who played an important religious and diplomatic role in Egypt's 18th dynasty. Thank you so much for joining me, Joyce. We've asked a group of historians to nominate a historical figure they believe deserves their 15 minutes of fame. And you have nominated the ancient Egyptian queen, Queen T who lived in the 14th century BCE. So introduce us to T. Who was she and what do we know about her life? Well, I find T really, really interesting because she wasn't hidden during her lifetime. She was probably the most famous person in Egypt, well, during her husband's reign. She didn't reign, her husband did. But since then, she's sort of receded into the background and she's been completely overtaken by her daughter-in-law, Nefertiti, and by her 
probable grandson Tutankhamun. So the view that we get of ancient Egypt today, looking back on it, we see her as being quite insignificant. A lot of people have never heard of her name. So I'd like to try and redress the balance a bit because I think she was a hugely influential figure and she's definitely someone who deserves to be remembered. She shouldn't be in the background. She should be allowed to come forward again, I think. So that's why I chose her. So unsurprisingly, as she lived so long ago, we're not entirely sure exactly when she lived. And some of her biographical details are a bit fuzzy. But what do we know about her? What can we pin down? I mean, we are a bit fuzzy with her, but compared to a lot of Egyptian queens, we know quite a lot about her. Um, we know who she was married to. It was a king called Amenhotep III. And we know that he came to the throne in roughly 1390 BCE. And he ruled for almost 40 years. And she was there throughout because she she lived beyond him. So we know that she was very prominent for quite a long time. Really interestingly, we know who her parents were. And this is very rare. Usually, if you're the Queen of Egypt, you're only important because you're married to the king. So you will only tell us the king's name, your husband's name. And maybe if you are the mother of a king, you'll tell us that king as well. But you won't mention your parents because they're not that important unless you happen to be born into the royal family, in which case you will also be the daughter of a king. So you'll tell us that. But T isn't the daughter of a king. She's the daughter of a commoner, um, well, two commoners, um, Yuya, who's her father, and Thuya, who's her mother. Um, and this is very unusual that we know this. And the reason that we know this is that Amenhotep III himself tells us this. He issues a proclamation that says that this woman is his wife and these are her parents. Why did he do this? Why is it so unusual? Why does he decide that people need to know this? Well, I think it's because she isn't royal. And I think he wants people to know that although he's slightly broken with tradition and hasn't actually married his sister, which he could have done, or his half-sister, this woman, this, this commoner-born woman, is really important and it will be her children who will succeed to the throne. She's not just a secondary wife, because all these kings had lots of wives. But she's not a secondary wife. She is the Queen Consort of Egypt. And despite the fact that she's of humble birth, she will be the one who really counts and her children will succeed to the throne. So it's brilliant that we know this. And everything, in a way, you could almost say she represents the goddesses as well. She's a, she's a figurehead and she's very powerful. She's powerful in her own right. She can own property. She does things. Um, the problem is that she's always a bit hidden behind the king. And the king promotes himself so well that we always see the queen as being a very minor figure and, and not particularly important, but she was important. Um, you don't get kings without queens. The two together really form kingship in Egypt, I think. Do we have any sense about how much power T would have had as a queen consort? Well, we can see that she had quite a lot of, of power. She, the queen consort is the queen who appears in all official writings and art. So if the royal family is ever depicted, she, she appears there. And we can see her alongside her husband. She appears at the same size as him. So obviously she's quite a significant person. She appears on these important monuments. She appears in the tombs of courtiers who are depicting the royal family. We have property that belongs to her. We have her makeup set, for example. Um, we also know that she's very important in the religious sphere because in, within Egypt, she appears with the face of a goddess or in the form of a goddess. Not saying that she is a goddess, but she's associated with a goddess. Outside Egypt, in Nubia, which is the land immediately to the south of Egypt, she actually has a temple dedicated to her and she seems to be far more divine. So she's very important in the religious sphere after her husband dies, she's also mentioned in diplomatic correspondence that's addressed to her son. So she's not only known within Egypt, she's known outside Egypt as well. So 
really, she is a very, very powerful woman. Um, she shouldn't be underestimated. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. If you were studying ancient Egypt 100 years ago, you would see Queen T as the dominant figure of this time. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And was this influence that she seems to have had um, as Queen Consul and Queen Mother, was that typical at the time or was that quite unusual? Well, we don't know. This is a really interesting question. Is it that just more evidence has survived from her or is it um, atypical? I think that she is unusually powerful, that we have enough information to suggest that she is maybe more powerful than the Queen Consorts who'd gone for the few reigns before her. But... Her daughter-in-law, Nefertiti, who is the consort of the next king, Akhenaten, also appears to be very prominent, not in the diplomatic correspondence, but in the other spheres. However, we can explain why Nefertiti is equally prominent. Nefertiti lives an entirely different life. She lives in a city which is built during her husband's reign and uses the royal family as an object of worship. So we have a lot of images of Nefertiti because the people are worshipping via the royal family. And this means that the representations we have in Nefertiti are atypical. There are, too, there are too many of them, if you like. So if we compare T and Nefertiti, they're a bit similar. But we know that Nefertiti is definitely unusual and because of the way the art is forming. And T seems to be unusual because she's a powerful woman. Um, I know that's a bit confusing, but we have to bear in mind it's archaeology. And so much depends on preservation that, you know, it could be that there's a very powerful person who doesn't have monuments preserved. And it could be that there's a powerful person who does. And it's hard for us to judge their comparative power. Mm. So if we are looking back through what archaeology has left us, what kind of stuff do we have for, for T? You mentioned a depiction where she's the same height as her husband, but what other depictions of her are there? We have statues, we have tomb scenes, we have little figurines. We have one beautiful little f- head of the Queen, which is, is comes from quite late on in, in her life, I think, where she actually appears as an older woman. And this is really unusual in ancient Egyptian art because normally women queens appear as eternally young eternally slender um it's the stereotype these this art is not meant to be portraiture in any way so we can't say that that's what they look like but when we see queen t she she is definitely an older woman and i like to think of this as someone is recognizing that she has gone beyond the stage of just being a fertile beautiful queen and she's actually sort of acquired real wisdom and she is there as a woman to be respected we get the same things with men. Most men appear young, fit and virile, but occasionally you'll get an older looking man who is respected because he is older. Because in ancient Egypt, it's a really rare thing to actually be any great age. Um, and we respect those men and we should respect Queen T as well, I think, because she is depicted in the same way as an important older woman. And we also have Queen T's remains, her her mummy, which is 
an incredible mummy, isn't it, to look at? And I would encourage people to to look it up. It has a full head of hair. What does that tell us or what can we learn from it? Well, it's interesting. We definitely have her parents because they were discovered in a sealed tomb, their own sealed tomb. Interestingly, her father doesn't say that he's actually her her um her father and doesn't claim a relationship to the king but the but her mother does and we have the information from the king saying who her parents are so we can absolutely tie them in the mummy of queen t is a bit more confusing because it wasn't found in her own tomb it was found in a secondary burial and it had been um obviously mummified when she died and buried and then it had had quite an adventure i think before eventually coming to rest in a cache um, developed quite a long time after her burial um we recognize her because she has a lot of long hair because she's older her hair ties into hair that is found in Tutankhamun's tomb and there's also dna evidence to suggest that it probably is her so i'm not saying it's not her but she's not a hundred percent she's probably about 90 percent recognized as queen t but it is really really satisfying i think to be able to gaze on the face of um an ancient egyptian queen obviously we wouldn't want to unwrap a a queen but she was discovered already unwrapped so that's how we can do that and that is very rare and so finally why do you think that we should be talking about queen t today why do you think she deserved nominating for her 15 minutes of fame because at the time she was obviously really really important i think she was as important if not more important than her daughter-in-law nefertiti and the egyptian people thought this too but then she got forgotten in fact nefertiti was forgotten as well as archaeology started to reveal ancient Egypt again and we started to be able to read the writings on the walls and, and, and archaeology was uncovering um, statues and temples and so on, uh, first of all, we could find Queen T and we could read about her and we could see that she was important. So if you were studying ancient Egypt 100 years ago, you would see Queen T as the dominant figure of this time. But more recently... We've become obsessed with Nefertiti, particularly since the discovery of the head that is in the Berlin Museum. And suddenly, she's being seen as the powerful woman of this era. She's being seen as atypically powerful. She is being suggested that she ruled Egypt. It's being suggested that she was a living goddess. But I would argue that all this evidence also applies to Queen T and that Nefertiti is not so much as an unusually powerful woman, but she is a daughter-in-law who is following in the footsteps of the powerful Queen T, but we've somehow managed to overlook Queen T and she's just disappeared into the background. And that seems so unfair because she was a, a trailblazer, if you like, and I think she deserves to be remembered as the Egyptians would have seen her and not as we see her today. That was Professor Joyce Tildesley. Joyce is the author of several books on ancient Egypt, including Nefertiti's Face, The Creation of an Icon, and the upcoming book, Tutankhamun, Pharaoh, Icon, Enigma. If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 hyphen minutes. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. Mm-hmm.